we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, I'd like for you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And God willing, this evening, we're going to finish the 13th chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're actually going to begin reading in chapter 12 and verse 31, as has been our practice in this 13th chapter. This is the fourth message from the 13th chapter on the subject of charity or love. And the title of our theme throughout this 13th chapter is the way of love, the way of love. And tonight we'll, we'll look at it with this subtitle in mind, the priority of the church is charity. The priority of the church is charity. Notice again, we'll begin reading in verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But then that which is perfect is come. Or but when rather. But when that which is perfect is come. Then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Notice the final statement we read here in this 13th chapter in verse 13. The greatest of these is charity. And thus we see the priority of the church is charity. The priority of the church is love. And as this theme was introduced to us in verse 31 of chapter number 12, it was introduced as the more excellent way. In contrast to what, we might ask? In contrast 
uh, to the way that the Corinthian church had been operating. The Corinthian church was a gifted church, but it was a carnal church. Uh, the Corinthian church was also a confused church, and it was a conflicted church. There were arguments uh, within the congregation. There were those who uh, wanted uh, an elevated position. They wanted acknowledgement and acclaim. Their motive was fleshly and selfish. And they sought to elevate themselves through the use of their gift. They missed the purpose of the gift. The gift was not given for their promotion or for promotion of themselves. The gift was given for the edification of the church, to build up the church. Uh, so they missed the boat. They were confused about the exercise of those gifts, and chaos was the result of that. Their public services had become quite chaotic. People would stand and say, I have a word of prophecy, or someone would stand and say, I want to speak in tongues. And there was no order. There was simply chaos in the church. And the attitudes that motivated and, 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 and the attitudes that were pervasive in that church were ungodly. The church was more like Corinth than it was like Christ. And so Paul addresses the problem. And he speaks to them about the necessity of love. And we noted already a few things in this chapter. First of all, we looked at the problems of a church without charity. Uh, we see those problems as they're given to us in verses 1 through 3. And we noted that those problems reveal that the church is ineffective. When you do not have love, when you do not have charity, you may have ministry, you may have organization, you may have doctrine, you may have giftedness. Everything may appear to be as it should, but without charity, without love, the love of God, he says you are nothing. Look, if you would, in verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. We noted that a church without charity makes a sound without substance. In verse 2 he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. We noted in verse 2 that a church without charity has a vision with no value. And then in verse 3, he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. A church without charity is benevolent but without benefit. What is it good for if there is no love in the church? So we saw the problems of a church without charity. Then we noted the practical characteristics of charity, in verses 4 through 7, there are 15 of those characteristics that were given to us, and we looked at them on two Sunday evenings. And so we noted the problems of a church without charity. We noted the practical characteristics of charity. What does charity look like? 
How does it behave itself? How does it conduct itself? Well, that is seen for us in verses 4 through 7. Tonight, we close our study of this chapter with this thought, the priority of the church is charity. The priority of the church is charity. Now, Paul is writing to encourage them that of all the things that they covet, the thing they ought to covet the most is charity. The thing they ought to desire to have, to possess the most is charity, love. Love in action, the love of God. A love that is not based upon uh, the worthiness of the recipient of that love or the attractiveness of that person, but a love that is based on the character of God And we know that God loves regardless of how attractive or unattractive we may be, not just physically, but in our personalities. And God loves us. His love is enduring. He demonstrated that great love when he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us. The Bible said, but God commendeth his love toward us. He demonstrated it for us, his love. It was more than just a word, excuse me, more than just a word, more than just a statement. It was clearly, vividly demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unlovely, while we were the aliens or alienated from God, while we were at enmity with God, God loved us. And we can become a recipient, a full recipient of that love when we receive Christ as our Savior. And we're born again and brought into the family of God. And we experience the love of God. And having experienced the love of God, we are therefore to be filled with the love of God. And the church ought to be the place where people know they're loved. Now, the church is made up of imperfect people. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Though we've been redeemed, we still have a sin nature. And the effects of sin still ravage our soul and our body. It distorts the way we think. It distorts our attitudes. That's what was happening here in Corinth. And it distorts and hinders our capacity to love. That's why we must learn to love God. And as we learn to love God, God's love for humanity, God's love for all people is shed abroad in our hearts and we begin to love people in a way that we've never loved them before. And so this is what the Lord is speaking of here. Now he says in verse eight, charity never faileth. So we understand that we are to choose charity. By the way, to love is a command. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Husbands, love your wives. That's a command. We, we hit that Wednesday night in our couple's discipleship group. It is a command. It is, it is not simply an emotion or a sense of excitement or attractiveness. It is a command. It is an act of the will, and we are to choose charity. That should be the priority of the church. So as Paul exhorted them to choose charity, 
he gives them four reasons that they should do so. And we'll look at them in these verses. First of all, he wanted them to choose charity in light of that which is passing. That which is passing. You see, they were infatuated with things that were passing. And he points that out to them in verse 8. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, the Corinthian church, the people in it, were enamored with the gifts of the Spirit and, the, in particular, the gifts that Paul mentions here in verse 8, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. Now, remember, the New Testament canon, the New Testament is not complete. There were Corinthian believers, perhaps, that had the law. I would say a large number of them didn't possess that. But nobody possessed the New Testament. It was being written in real time as this church was getting off the ground. The Apostle Paul, as we noted this morning, an apostle who had these apostolic gifts, these gifts uh, gave authentication of his office. And when he spoke, then his teaching would be accepted as authentic and from the Lord. And so the Corinthian church has no Bible. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of, of the congregation, and he is using his people uh, to edify and build up the church. And so he uses prophecies, and he uses tongues, and he uses knowledge. Now, the prophecies are just simply uh, revelations from the Lord. And they're also, in today's sense, in the way that we would say someone prophesies is to tell, to teach, to proclaim what God has already said. You see, there is no new prophecy to be revealed. The, the prophecy was concluded when the book of Revelation was finished. From Genesis to Revelation, that is what God has revealed to mankind. And it is complete, and we have it today. So he says there were people who wanted to prophesy. But he, he wanted them to understand that this gift of prophecy, this gift of tongues, this gift of knowledge was something that was passing. Notice the language he uses here. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. That means they shall become inactive. There is a time when there will be no more prophecies. Whether there be tongues, that is speaking a language, not just some made-up, conjured-up gibberish, but speaking a language. Acts chapter number 2, on the day of Pentecost, when they spoke in tongues, the people that were gathered there from all of those various nations in Jerusalem heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. The miracle of that was that the people who were speaking in their language did not know their language. The Holy Spirit gifted them to speak that language. And so what they were speaking was the word of God. What they were speaking was the message of the gospel. And the people who were hearing that 
uh, we're, we're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the church is getting off the ground. You have all these people from all of these nations, and the commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, how are you going to, how are you going to advance the gospel past and beyond the language barriers? There's no Bible to print. Well, God, by a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit, gives understanding to all of these people. He gives them this gift of tongues. That was the use of tongues. But as we're going to see, the Corinthian church distorted the use of tongues. But God says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. That means they'll stop. They'll come to an end. There will be no need for tongues. Then he says, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Understanding, discernment, knowledge of revelation, it shall vanish away. What do we learn about these things? We learned that they had an expiration date. But there's something that does not have an expiration date. Love, charity. So therefore, he says to us, choose charity. Do not be enamored with the temporary. Do not be enamored with the means of the ministry, but pursue the substance of it, that we would love God and love one another. So he said, choose charity and understand that which is passing. Number two, choose charity and understand that which is partial. Look in verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Our knowledge is in part. If something is in part, what do we know about it? It's not complete. It's not full. We know in part and we prophesy in part. There were those who were giving word of knowledge in the church, those who were prophesying but the revelation of God was not yet complete. They only had a part of the body of truth as God met the needs of the congregation. That word part literally means this, bit by bit, bit by bit. God gave them enough revelation, knowledge, prophecies from day to day to keep the work of the church moving forward. It's just in part. It's not the whole. Sometimes we choose the parts and we miss the whole, don't we? And so he says, understand that we must choose charity in light of that which is passing and in light of that which is partial. And then thirdly, in light of that which is perfect. In light of that which is perfect. Look at verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Verse 11 and 12, for when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part, that's the same word that we saw just a moment ago. The fact is that we know in part and we prophesy in part. And he says, for now I know in part. I don't know fully. 
but then shall I know, even as also I am known. So he says, choose charity in light of that which is perfect. Now the question is, what does that which is perfect refer to? And there are different, different uh, opinions on that. I just want to give them to you. Uh, some believe that that which is perfect refers to the rapture of the church. And then there are others who believe that which is perfect refers to uh, the maturation, the maturity of the church. Once the church is conformed to the image of Christ. There are those who believe that that which is perfect is the second coming of Christ when he comes and returns and sets up his kingdom. And then there are those who believe that that which is perfect is the eternal state of the believer, that they'll be delivered from the very presence of sin into the presence of God and everything will be made right and whole. And of course, the Bible tells us that that will happen in Revelation uh, chapter 21. And then there is the thought that that which is perfect refers to the completion of the revelation of God, which is the Word of God. I tend to believe it's referring to the Word of God. Because the context that has brought us to this point is speaking of the spiritual gifts of the church, which were for the edification of the church. They were gifts of revelation, revelation of truth. And they're in the process of receiving that revelation, but that revelation is not yet full. You and I, on the other hand, are on the end of that process where the revelation is full and it is complete. Now, you may choose to disagree with me. That's okay. I really don't think the meaning is going to be changed too dramatically either way. Because the emphasis here is on love. Now, I do think it's important, however, to, to understand that what we have in our hand, the Bible, is a perfect, complete revelation of what God wants us to have. It's full. It's complete. Therefore, we reject the word of someone who claims to be a prophet today. I think it was Joseph Smith who started the Mormon church and he uh, found a book buried under a tree and believes that uh, Jesus appeared in the 1700s. And, and I, I think I've got one or two, maybe something out of order. There's one other person involved in that. And, and therefore, there's a new gospel and uh, that is the gospel of the Mormon church. We reject that because we believe the Bible starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. It was written by the apostles and the prophets. The apostles were eyewitnesses of the life and ministry of Christ and his death and resurrection. And so we lean upon apostolic authority and the canon of Scripture. And we believe that we have a book, the Bible, which is the Word of God. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible. Every word of God is true. We believe that. 
So when it says that which is perfect is come, what does the word perfect mean? It means that it is finished. It has reached its end. Hence, it is complete and full and wanting in nothing. That's what we believe about the Bible. It is complete and full and wanting in nothing. Everything God has revealed to man, he has revealed to us in the pages of his word. The Corinthian church didn't have that. In fact, no church at that time had that. They were depending upon the teaching of the apostles. They were depending upon the gifts of the spirit imparted to the individual believers for the weekly edification of the church. We are depending on the word of God. We have it, we read it, we study it, we practice it, we believe it, we preach it, we teach it. We have the word of God. So we need to understand that. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part, there's that word again, that expression, in part shall be done away. Well, in verse 9, what does he tell us? We know in part and we prophesy in part. Our, our, our message, the message of the Corinthian church, the use of these spiritual gifts, it was not full. It was part by part, bit by bit. Their knowledge and understanding, their prophecy was in part. But now that which is perfect is come. And once that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I have the completed revelation of God's word, then I, I don't have to depend on so-and-so to speak in tongues or to give a word of knowledge or a prophecy because I have the Bible. Are you with me? Look at an illustration that he gives in verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, the word child here refers to one who cannot speak. He cannot speak. So he does not possess the ability to communicate. So we're talking about a baby, an infant, a toddler. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. What does an infant and a babe understand? I thought as a child. What, what do they think about? Juice. Give me some juice. Give me a cookie. Play with me. Give me some attention. It really characterizes the spiritual maturity level of the Corinthian believers, does it not? Babes. What causes a babe to grow? What did the apostle say? The sincere milk of the word. Desire it. And as you grow and as you mature, you'll be able to eat meat, to consume the truth of God's word. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, when I grew, when I became mature, I put away childish things. A man is one who is mature. What is he speaking of here? He's speaking of the maturity of the believer. He's speaking here of the fact that once the word is given and revealed, 
once a Christian grows, there will be no need for those things which are bit by bit or those things which are passing. Verse 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Now there's much debate about this verse, and really it, it causes some of the uh, disagreement between what, uh, between what this is referring to when you're talking about that which is perfect. Is this referring to heaven? Well, it certainly could be on its face, right? Or is this referring to the ministry of the word? Well, what does James say about the Bible? When a man looks into the word of God, he's looking into a mirror. That's what James says. And, and if you go after you see, if you're confronted with the truth of God's word and, and you, see, you see yourself. By the way, have you ever looked in the mirror and got really scared? Shocked and surprised? Who is that guy? That couldn't be me. You see, when we look into the perfect law of liberty, when we look into the word of God, then God reveals to us who we are. And so when we look into the word of God, there is revelation. For now we see through a glass darkly. We don't have full revelation. We have bit-by-bit revelation. But then face-to-face, I can see myself in the pages of God's Word. For now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. So the goal of the gifts was the completion of the New Testament. That was the goal of the gifts. Those believers were immature and they were incomplete and the Apostle Paul was trying to tell them that. So why are you getting so worked up about those things? Why don't you choose charity? Why don't you choose charity? What disgruntles most people about their church? What disgruntles you? Is it the financial report? Is it the song they sang in the choir or didn't sing? Is it the role you have? What what disgruntles most of us? Well, these were the things that they were getting disgruntled about. What divides most churches? Petty things, childish things, things that don't matter. What should unite us? The truth and love. And Paul said, choose charity. Choose to love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you've got a really well-organized ministry. And we ought to be organized. We ought to be efficient. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. If... If, if the program is up and running, I mean, it looks really good. I mean, if you've got good choir and good singers, a good preacher, well, you're in trouble there, aren't you? By this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you've got a lot of money in the bank. No. If you have love one for another. This ought to be a place where 
people know they are loved and where people love. Not just the people that are easy to love, but the people who aren't. Do you know anybody that way? Do you ever wonder why God has brought them into your life? I'm talking about the people that really get on your nerves. The people that wouldn't be here if you were made sheriff for a day. Those people. They rub you the wrong way. They deny you your rights, your privileges. They impede your vision of how things ought to be. What is God doing through those people? He's teaching us to love. That's what he's doing. And so, so why, 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 why are you divided and worked up about that which is passing and that which is partial? Understand there is something that is coming and it is perfect. It is the complete revelation of my word. And those things are just a process to get us to that point. Then notice verse 4. He says, choose charity in light of that which, not verse 4, but number 4, choose charity in light of that which is permanent. Which is permanent. Do you want, do you want to hold on to something that's passing or do you want to hold on to something that's permanent, enduring? Look at verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity these three but the greatest of these is charity now faith's important would you not say faith is important what is faith faith is the uh it is the uh, substance of things hoped for it is the evidence of things not seen the just shall live by faith by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So faith is important, right? Because faith brings us into a relationship with God. We hear the message of the gospel that God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us, that he rose again the third day. And if we will confess our sin and call on him, he will save us. So those of us who are saved are saved simply by responding to that message in faith, believing. Sirs, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Believe, Paul said, on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe, exercise faith, trust God. That's pretty important, is it not? And then not only does faith save us, but faith sustains us. We live by faith. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I live by faith. Faith is pretty important. But one day, there will be no need for faith anymore. By the way, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God, that which is perfect, gives me faith. When I get to heaven, if you want to say that's the place of perfection, that's okay. There'll still, there will be no need for faith in heaven. Why? Because faith 
has become sight. Faith has become sight. I don't have to hope for it. I'll be living in it. I'll be surrounded by it. Now abideth faith. Hope, hope. Hope's an important thing, is it not? Hope. Hope gives us strength in the midst of our sufferings. It helps us to endure. We need hope. We're watching our world fall apart. It's needlessly divided, full of hatred and strife, led by godless people who deny the existence of God, who have rebelled against the order of God. We have chaos in our world. What is our hope? Our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is that though it appears that everything in this earth is falling apart, our hope is that Jesus said he would bring all things together according to his plan. And he is, and we hope in that. One day, our hope will be realized. There'll be no reason for hope. No reason at all. There'll be nothing to hope for. Hope will be realized. So faith's a good thing and hope is a good thing. But charity is a permanent thing. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Why is it greater? Because charity will never end. It will never cease. The love that you have for your husband, for your wife, for your children, for one another, that love will never cease. That love will continue throughout eternity. That's why the greatest of these is charity. And so tonight we understand what the priority of the church is. It's charity. I challenged you a few weeks ago and I said this to you, what difference would it make in our church if we got a hold of this concept of charity? I want to tell you it would make a great difference. And, and here's what we might say. Well, it, would be, it certainly would be easier if everybody was, it was just much easier to get along with. Well, that's the lab that allows you to prove the experiment or through the experiment that the lecture is right. Love covereth a multitude of sins. We're good at pointing out a multitude of sins in people, aren't we? Boy, you know, so, oh, yeah, I know about them. Oh, man, can I tell you some things? Maybe that's not the what you should do. In fact, there's no maybe to it. Love them. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to hear Jim Benny in a meeting, and he was talking about he was talking about uh, the offenses that people suffer and he, he, he brought out something that it was really helpful to me the people that you consider to be the most adversarial people to you you know the people that whisper about your kids that gets pretty personal, doesn't it? The people that say critical things, 
the people that are just really hard to love. He said, you can pray for them in a way that nobody else can pray for them because you've become familiar with some of their needs. And it's all an opportunity from God to pray on their behalf. And he talked about Jesus' prayer for us. By the way, what put Jesus on the cross? It was my sin we sang this morning that put him there. I hear my mocking voice among the scorners. We sang that this morning. I think it was Solomon, he said, when you hear that your servant has cursed you, remember that you too have cursed others. That's really helpful, isn't it? Because the truth is we're all guilty. And therefore, we need to learn how to love one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to choose the way of love. And the priority of the church is charity. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.